0: Good morning, Deeper Run Family. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, If you're here with us and you need a Bible, you can find one in the back. Um, If you're joining us online and you need one, uh, feel free to reach out to us on the website and we'll find a way to get you one. Today's reading is taken from portions of Proverbs 6, 20, 21, 26, 27, and 28. Go to the ant, O sluggard. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I pray that our our hearts meditate on things that God wants us uh, to meditate on today, And, and I pray that my words will be helpful to us as we consider the Proverbs and you know we're, we're talking about how to raise and disciple and teach the next generation and last week we talked about helping the next generation cultivate a mercy ethic you know helping our children cultivate merciful hearts is a priority uh, that that the scriptures talk about uh, and I think equally important to merciful hearts is a good work ethic. As we raise our children, or our grandchildren, or teach our students and disciple one another, uh, it's important to the scriptures, it's important to the Bible that we develop in young people a good work ethic. Now, it's true, and we saw this last week when we talked about mercy, uh, it's true that some poverty is the result of injustice and oppression, some poverty is the result of other people's neglect. And it's critical that you teach your children that. Not every poor person is poor because they haven't done a good job. We talked about that last week. We talked about ignorance, the danger of ignorance. However, this week, the Proverbs show us that some poverty is the result of poor choices and bad character. Proverbs 6, you just heard Caitlin read it. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. So one of the characters in the Proverbs is the fool, right? And and the fool, when he opens his mouth, he becomes a mocker. Uh, But the fool, when he applies his unteachable heart, his stubborn attitude to work He becomes a sluggard. Proverbs 26, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So my friends, meet the sluggard. We've we've talked about uh, the fool, we've talked about the simple-minded person, we've talked about the friend um, and the mocker. Meet the sluggard. The sluggard is slow and idle and slothful. The sluggard is a lazy person. Now, don't misunderstand laziness. It's not simply about doing nothing. It's not that he doesn't do anything. The sluggard does not do the right thing. As James would say in his letter, so whenever someone who knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So, wise parenting cares deeply about developing in your children a work ethic, but a particular kind of work ethic. Not just working hard for the sake of getting into the best school, to to get the best job, to make the most amount of money, but a particular kind of work ethic. Good work glorifies God because it reflects his creativity, and his faithfulness, and his kindness. This is what the Bible would call a good work ethic, work that reflects the character of God to our children, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and to this world. Uh, They're not going to be good at this when they go out and get a job after they've graduated from college if we don't start cultivating it in them now when they're still in the home with us. So we're going to talk about work today. Uh, We're going to talk about how work is a human thing. It is human to work. We're also going to talk about how in a fallen world, for the believer, work is actually worship. It is the thing we do the most with our lives. More than anything else, we're at work. And for the believer, to work is to glorify God. But finally, we're gonna talk about how in a fallen world, in a sinful world, for the believer, work is redemption. Work, our work, your work is, this is amazing, but it's actually a part of God's restoration plan for humanity and for the planet. Work is human, work is worship, and work is redemption. Reminder, I am not a parenting expert. I am a big sinner and I have failed a lot as a parent. Uh, But we turn to the scriptures and we look at Proverbs. Okay, so to work is to be a human being. To not want to work is to be a human being. We have to deal with both dynamics. And so I want to talk to you about the difference between work and toil. And some of you have heard this before. Actually, uh, we talked about work and toil when we looked at the life of Joseph in our series on the book of Genesis about four or five years ago, it's, it's on our website. Okay, so here's, here's a simple definition of work. Work is exercising righteous dominion as God's image bearers to cultivate and develop God's creation. So think about the very beginning and God makes all things and then he makes humanity and he says, uh, the, 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 the Genesis 2 says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Notice it's a garden, right? It's not a movie theater. It's a garden. Gardens require maintenance and care. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. All right, so we learn something right away about the creation mandate of Genesis chapters one and two, we learned that all work, farming, education, the arts, medicine, politics, mechanics, parenting, is all ordained by God. It's all good work, it's all necessary, and it pre-exists human sin. It was all given by God as a good thing It is human to work and to work well. And so Timothy Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, wrote We were built for work and the dignity it gives us as human beings, regardless of its status or pay. And he wrote Every Christian should be able to identify with conviction and satisfaction the ways in which his or her work participates with God in his creativity and cultivation. Can't remember the source, but one of my old mentors told me a story about a janitor in a hospital mopping the floor. And the janitor said, this is why I mop the floor, because we heal people here. And so the janitor, right? The janitor mopping the floor knew that cleaning the floor was not simply cleaning the floor, that there was no shame in that, but that he was a part of a, a larger system that was working to heal bodies and soothe minds. And that's what he saw. His his simple role is making sure the building was clean allowed people, other people, to save lives. Okay, there is also toil. We have to talk about toil, and this is how I want to describe it. Toil is the futile striving of fallen sinners to make limited progress in a decaying world. So think about what happened when humanity decided to disobey God and obey the serpent and became God's enemies. Uh, God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And God said to the man, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Okay, so that we see that because the world is broken and because we are broken, we can achieve what's ideal. We will, we will never be satisfied no matter how hard we work, no matter how wonderful our ideas are and as pure you know, and altruistic as our ambitions are, we will never see an ideal circumstance. We will never have peace in the Middle East. We will never invent the perfect car, right? We we will never get to the end or the bottom or the height of our greatest aspirations. We will always in some sense be dissatisfied and even frustrated with our work. And so the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter two said, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. See, he was thinking about all of this stuff. All of it is meaningless, he said. A chasing after the wind. And I'm telling you, if you are a parent, I'm sure you feel like a lot of what you are doing is a chasing after the wind, right? From from cleaning a baby's diaper to trying to teach your teenager how to drive a car. A chasing after the wind, So, um, work, work invigorates you and inspires you, but toil exhausts you, toil frustrates you. Work makes you want to get out of bed, toil makes you want to stay in bed. You see the difference? But here's the news, here's the good news of the entire Bible, the whole thing, the whole story from beginning to end, God is redeeming work. He is redeeming work. In the very end, in Revelation chapter 21, this is what you see at the end of human history when heaven and earth meet and God comes to dwell with his people. He says, behold, I am making all things new. And so that is such a beautiful promise and that is the Christian message that God is not just saving souls, who remain bodiless spirits, but he's saving the physical creation itself. He's saving our ability to care for it and keep it as we were truly intended to do so. And so again, Timothy Keller wrote, work will be both frustrating and fulfilling, and sometimes, just often enough, human work gives us a glimpse of the beauty and genius that might have been the routine characteristic of all our work. And what, by God's grace, it will be again in the new heavens and new earth. So it is human to love work. And it is human to despise toil. So how do we endure necessary toil? Right, like in a fallen world, filled with sinners, How do we endure necessary toil, right? Uh, If you're a kid, taking out the trash is a necessary toil. You can't leave it to pile up in the house, and so if it's your weekly chore or daily chore to take out the trash, that sounds like a necessary toil. I'll go back to teaching your kids how to drive. It seems like a necessary toil. They're gonna have to learn how to drive, and you're gonna have to teach them. How do we endure necessary toil? Because we can't avoid doing everything right. I think this is how we endure living with, with, with a frustration and a lack of fulfillment in the difficult work that we do in this life. We endure that by learning that work for the believer, for the one who follows the God of the Bible and believes in him, work for the believer is worship. It's an expression of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Thus says the Lord, Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. Now the Hebrew word for serve, it was a liturgical service. It was a religious type of service. He's saying, and some of your English translations say this, let my people go that they may worship me. And that's true life. Once redeemed by God, our lives are a movement away from idolatry, to worship. The truly redeemed life is a movement away from false worship to true worship. And one of the most common ways we worship God, we, we, we love Him and love our neighbor, is our work. It's something we do every day, and, and depending on the day, it may be 10 hours, it may be 12 hours, it may, it may feel like your work never ends, but it's the way we are it's the opportunity we are given to glorify him more than what we would even do on a Sunday morning. So, Isaac Watts, in his, in his hymn a few hundred years ago, his, his paraphrase of Psalm 23, uh, one of the lines is, Oh, may thy house be my abode and all my work be praised. You see that? He understood. Songwriter, poet, but he understood. Work for the believer is praise. So, a healthy family sees work as an expression of loving God and loving one another. So wise parents teach their children to work hard, but not just to work hard, to work purposefully. You can work hard and not stop and get nowhere, or get to the wrong place. It's not just about working hard, it's about working with a purpose that glorifies God. And here's, two, here's three simple ways that we can teach our young people to work not just hard, but purposefully by working like God works, by being creative in our work, by being faithful in our work, and by being kind in our work. Being creative in your work is working like God. And by creative, I don't mean artistic because not everybody is wired artistically. Um, uh, I'm grateful for people who are good at math and science because I'm not wired that way. Uh, so we're all I don't mean you have to be artistic. What I mean by creative is to be thoughtful. To be thoughtful about who you are and how you've been made and what you're skilled to do and what you're gifted to do and what you have learned how to do. So, teach your children how to be creative in their work, which means you have to observe them. You have to pay attention to how they are from when they're very young and how they excel in different things as they get older. Observe your children. Help your child see what she's good at. And listen to me, help your child see what she is not good at, because that's just as important to understand. And give her the freedom, give her the freedom to try things. And give her the freedom to fail. Give her a safe environment in which she can try and fail and not feel like you don't love her or you're not proud of her. So be creative in your work. Teach them to be creative in their work, thoughtful in their work. But also, teach them to be faithful like God is in His work. See things through. Teach our children to see things through. Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. To be diligent in that verse means to be determined, to be sharp, to be focused on something. Teach your son to honor his commitments. Yeah? If he's going to stick with his job as an adult, if he's going to stick with his marriage later, you gotta teach him how to stick with his homework right now. You gotta teach him how to stick with his team. And if he's made a commitment, but he doesn't feel like he's being played enough, you say, I've made, you've made a commitment. You don't have to play soccer next year, but you gotta finish this season. Your teammates are counting on you. You gotta teach him how to stick with a friendship, even if, that's, even if that friend is sometimes hard to love but to be faithful, as God is faithful in his work. And finally, teach them how to be kind, because God is kind in his work. Uh, Think about Hebrews chapter 10, where where we are told, let us consider how to stir one another up, that means like how to stoke a fire, But, but not for conflict, right? He's saying, let's stir one another up to love, and to good what works. How can we encourage one another toward good works? It's interesting how the early Christian church worked hard at serving one another. That, th- we cannot take that for granted as Christians, that the early church worked hard to serve one another. Now we are Americans, which means it is our right and we have the freedom to work as hard as we want to serve ourselves. No one will ever arrest you or fine you in America for working obsessively to serve yourself. And many people will praise you for it. But that is, I gotta tell you, I don't care who you vote for or what your plans are for Washington, D.C., that is not God's economy for his people and for his church. Read the New Testament, and you discover that the early Christians worked hard for one another, and that became the foundation of biblical mercy and biblical justice for the last 2,000 years. Where do the secular people come up with their ideas for justice and mercy? They get it here, and they don't see it. You may not be following this God, but if you believe in a just world and if you believe that merciful is virtuous, this is where it comes from. Read the Proverbs, read the New Testament, because God is kind in his work. So if we teach our children how to be creative and faithful in their work, then their work will reflect God's kindness to their siblings and to their classmates and to the neighbor's kid. Okay, so wise parenting, it it not only cultivates creativity and faithfulness and kindness in our children, but it also curbs foolishness with regard to work. Because that's what the Proverbs are all about, right? Learning the difference between wisdom and folly, and and that's your job as a parent and a teacher is uh, how do I teach these young people to avoid foolishness? for the rest of their lives, to avoid foolish choices. Well, a big part of parenting is learning how to curb foolishness with regards to work. So Proverbs twenty-eight, nineteen: whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So it looks like the ancient sages, the wise, were not only concerned about laziness, they were also concerned about Distractedness. It's not that the sluggard was simply lazy. It's that he was distracted. He could get, he had a propensity for getting distracted. The, the sluggard lacks the will to be consistent in what God wants him to do. He lacks the will to be consistent in what his family needs him to do and what his neighbors and what his church needs him to do. Like vinegar, says Proverbs 10.26, like vinegar, ooh, this is painful to even think about. (laughs) Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. You see that? The sluggard is not just a curse to himself, but a curse to the people around him. Now, and I want to be sensitive here because you might be thinking, hold on, my child has a chemical imbalance. And so work is difficult. Or my child struggles with a, a mental illness. Um, and, and so, like, it, this is a daily struggle, and it's very difficult, and very few people understand what I'm going through as a parent, right? Or very few people understand what I'm going through as a teacher post-pandemic trying to, you know, herd cats in a science class. Um, and, and look, some of you may be thinking, look, I, I, don't, I have... This isn't a scientific statement, my, my kid just plain old is oppositional. Like it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter what we do, they just want to do the exact opposite. And I respect all that and you know we have six kids and we've had all sorts of versions of this and are still dealing with it in various ways. So I want to respect, I want to respect that pushback, but now let me push back a bit. Remember what Dr. Jim Cofield said We talked about this a couple of times earlier in the series, that you can't change a person's nature. That's who they are. But you can nurture that person, you can nurture that child to make good choices with who they are, with what they're dealing with in life. It's not our calling to change our child's nature, but we can nurture them to make good choices in this life. Because for the Christ follower, work is our worship outside of Sunday morning. We're always worshiping. It's just, who are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? So sin, okay, our sinful nature distorts work. Um, Things like toil, are not just a problem outside, they're, they're a problem right here in the way we think and, and, and how our hearts work. How our, hearts work. Um, our sinful nature distorts good work in two ways. In our sin, we look at work as a curse or we look at it as an idol. So, so we are tempted to look at work as a curse, meaning it's all toil, all work is toil. Or we are tempted to look at work as an idol. It becomes our addiction. It becomes what we can't help ourselves from doing. So if you are afraid of toil, then you will avoid work and seek your own benefit through laziness. If you're afraid of toil, you will be lazy for your own benefit, and that leads to a false sense of rest. Right, so if the point of your work is to stop working, right, if that's always the idea, you're waiting for five o'clock, or you're waiting to put that tool down, or you're waiting for that kid to go to bed, uh, if the point of your work is to stop working, then you will let others down, and you will waste your abilities. On the other hand, if you're afraid of failing, right, you will work obsessively, you will never stop working, and you will never let anybody stop you from working, and you will seek your own benefit through effort. You will try harder, and you will try the hardest, and you will ne- you'll never let anybody else on your team, or in your neighborhood, or in your family outwork you. You will outwork them all, and the result will be a false sense of pride. If the point of your work is to be great, you may just be great, but I wonder if you will be good. I wonder if you will be wise. I wonder if you will be gentle. I wonder if you will be patient and forgiving. Some of the most successful people in history and on the planet right now are the biggest jerks in the world. And so, you know, maybe, maybe in, in an attempt to become great, you will be great, but I fear for your soul and I fear for the people who will have to live with you. And I speak as somebody who is afraid of failure and tends to work too much. So as you pray for yourself, pray for me. If our kids learn to be afraid of work, they will see it as a curse and they will become unreliable adults. If on the other hand hand, our kids learn to be afraid of failure, they will make work their idol. They will make it their false god and they will become difficult people. They will become difficult spouses. They will become difficult parents and they will become difficult people to work with. But the Bible says that we are at our best when we view our work as part of God's work. It is not your work, it is not your job, it is not your property, it is not your money, it is not your 401K. It is God's and you are a steward of it. And we are at our best when we view our work as part of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Work is redemptive when it imitates the nature of a God who works. Jesus said when he was criticized for healing people on the Sabbath, he he said, my father is always working, and I'm working. The best kind of work is, first of all, relational, and second of all, sacrificial. The best kind of work is relational and sacrificial. Now, don't get scared. If you work for the government in like a bunker and you only ever see one other pale person in your life, it doesn't mean that your work can't glorify God. That's not what I mean. But listen, I'll explain. Work is relational and work is sacrificial. The best kind of work is relational. It strives for the good of others. Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Right? The wise were saying, look, if, if you want food in the winter, if you want a warm coat in the winter, you got to work in the summer. And you got to harvest in the fall. You're not going to be well fed and warm in the winter if you've been doing nothing all spring and summer. That's common farming sense. And for all of you in, in your work, you know that that's common sense. But here's something interesting. Look at that phrase, know well the condition of your flocks. Now, I find it interesting because Jesus said to his disciples and to his critics, I am the good shepherd. Now, if he calls himself the good shepherd, I'll bet... He knew the condition of his flock. He knew who they were by name. He knew exactly what they needed. And so the man, the eternal son of God, who became a human being and started his vocation as a carpenter, with no praise and no notoriety, he worked with his hands to make things well that other people could use and probably never even know Who made that object? But then he became a shepherd of souls, a shepherd of souls who knows his sheep so personally and so intimately and is so attentive to their every need and to their greatest need that that David would say in the 23rd Psalm, I lack nothing. My shepherd is so good to me. So the best kind of work is, first of all, relational. Relational. Know it and know why you're doing it. But secondly, the best kind of work is sacrificial. It not only strives for the good of others, but it strives to put others first. I once said to my mother, who's here today, "Mom, how did you get him up the stairs?" Um, our oldest was our oldest was three. Our second was two, almost two, and our, our third had just been born. Um, my mother-in-law had to go back to New York. My dad had to go back to New York, and so my mother stayed with us. And Becky and I had to stay in the hospital that night. And so my mom had to bring the, you know, the three-year-old and the two-year-old home. And, and she had a bad back at the time, and I'm like, I, I don't know how she's going to get these kids to bed. And so... I, <laughs> Uh, but she got the two-year-old who, who was asleep home and into bed, and I said, mom, how did you get him in bed? And she said one word, love. And what she did was, this is 20 years ago, what she did was she, she put him on, he was asleep, she put him on one step, and then put him on the next step and then put him on, you know, he's asleep the whole time, just one step at a time, just got him up the stairs and into bed, right? I mean, and it, love will make even something that is toil good work, you understand me? Love is sacrificial in that uh, work, is the best kind of work is sacrificial in that it strives to put other people first, Even toil is redeemed as work if it is done in love. And as Chrissy was talking to the kids, I thought about it. Noah is building that ark, which is today's space shuttle. Noah was building that ark, and all of his neighbors laughed at him and thought it was ridiculous. And now who's laughing? And now who's amazed at what Noah was doing? What Noah was doing was for the good of others, and it put others first. That's good work. And so you see Jesus again say, not only I am the good shepherd, but what? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so when Jesus died on the cross for you, for me, and he said those words, it is finished. He redeemed work in a broken world for a broken humanity. So now help your children redeem work through relational sacrifice motivated by God's love they will learn to overcome their fear of toil because you can put up with toil if you're doing it for love and motivated by Christ's finished perfected once for all work they will learn to overcome their fear of failure. You see, the gospel is practical. Because if we are always teaching our children the gospel, they will learn that Jesus put up with the worst toil for them, surely they can take out the trash. Surely they can put up with a friend that's hard to love. If Jesus did that for them, and the gospel teaches us that no matter how much you fail, and no matter how much better other people are than you, I will never stop loving you. Because God has loved us despite our sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you will cultivate in your home and for your children a sense of grace and purpose that will help them get over their fear of of toil and get over their fear of failure. Don't pray that your kid will be the best in their field. Pray that your kid will not be afraid of failure. I promise you, you will be doing so much more for them. Good work glorifies God by reflecting his creativity, his faithfulness, and his kindness. God works. God made work good. And he's given us good work to do for him, So teach your children hard work, but let's teach our children purposeful work. Let's teach them Christ-like work. Let's pray. Father, we are challenged by these Proverbs. They, they really do speak uh, truth about the nature of the world. And, and Lord, forgive us for when uh, we have not done the right thing, Forgive us when we have uh, pursued distractions and failed to do the right thing. Uh, Lord, forgive us for our fear of failure. Forgive us for our fear of toil. And Lord, in Christ, who worked for our benefit, whose work put us first, may we learn to cultivate good work and show this world that you are making all things new. Amen.